Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our friends at Meowbox and Meowbox.com. Meowbox is a cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And stay tuned for a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast a little bit later on. In the show, courtesy of our friends at Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad. And with me, as always, is my tag team partner, the man who's been with me through 100 and on to 101 episodes of the two-man power trip. That is primetime John Paz. And John, today on the show, we have a man who, boy, oh boy, strap in because it is a guy who put on a hell of a show for us, and that is the blueprint himself, Matt Morgan, who I have learned so much about Matt Morgan just from this interview that I can only sum it up by saying if I was going to make our list of guys that we've talked to, 100 episodes in, a couple episodes that haven't aired, and I was going to look up and down, and I'm going to scratch my head when I get to Matt Morgan because he could quite possibly be the biggest missed opportunity by the bookers, by management, by creative, by the companies that employed him because for whatever reason, he was not given the rocket, not given the ball, not given the momentum to move forward and be a top guy is beyond me because he is so talented, and I got to say, Really, would you agree with me? And is Matt Morgan quite possibly the biggest missed opportunity by any of the bookers or management or matchmakers or any of the companies that we will talk about in this interview? Is he quite possibly the biggest missed opportunity of any guest that we've had on our show thus far? Well, Chad, we have another epic on our hands and the blueprint, Matt Morgan. This interview was an epic. I mean, he's just awesome he's such a great talker he's such a great interview i mean you just give him a topic and boom you're gonna know you're gonna get a great answer and you know you're gonna get 
you know, no bullshit. Another guy that we had on here, just a straight shooter. You're not going to, you know, get anything sugarcoated, which is awesome. And the best part about him is, you know, he's so honest and, and he just gives you, gives you his all. I mean, it's just so great and how passionate he is. And, and he was just an awesome interview and such a great time interviewing him. And it was definitely another one of our epics because uh, this was a long one and a really, really good one. And it's funny, uh, the way you preface it, it could Matt Morgan be the biggest missed opportunity of anybody we've had on to date. Put it this way. This is, you know, episode 101, I believe. Yes, episode 101. We've interviewed over 100 guests, and we've had on huge stars. We've had on missed opportunities. We've had on legends. We've had on current stars. We've had them all, but Matt Morgan is probably the biggest opportunity of anybody we've had on to date. Think about it. He's seven foot tall. He's 300 pounds. He's one of the most athletic big men you'll ever see. I mean, he can fly around the ring. He can jump off the top rope. He'll do whatever you want. The carbon footprint, great move. I mean, you just you got a great move set. You got a great worker. You got a great wrestler. And, oh, by the way, he can talk. So it's like, oh, my God. And he's got a shitload of charisma. So this guy's got it all. And somehow WWE missed the boat. And somehow TNA missed the boat. Well, it's not really that surprising with TNA, I guess you could say. But, you know, this is a typical Vince McMahon guy. Big, huge, great shape. Looks great. Can talk, can work. And they just missed the ball. They missed the boat on him. And it's uh, sad to say, but he's definitely the biggest missed opportunity of any wrestler we've had on. And like I said, we've had on over 100 guests. So pretty crazy to say that. But Matt Morgan, the blueprint, you know. Just a missed opportunity with somebody who basically was a huge, huge star and had potential written all over him. Well, considering all the baloney and all the start and stop booking that's referenced throughout the show, I'm going to throw it out to you bluntly like this, Primetime. Do you feel like wrestling needs Matt Morgan more than Matt Morgan needs the wrestling business? Yeah, you know what? I feel like wrestling needs Matt Morgan more than Matt Morgan needs wrestling. Obviously, we talked to him about what he's doing now and everything else, and he's making more money outside of the wrestling business than he was in the business, and that just goes to show you how smart he is and how well-educated he is. And, you know, he went to Monmouth University. I went to Monmouth University, so that is a great little tie-in there. But, uh, you know, all all kidding aside, uh, he's just a super, super smart guy, and he just he knew that you know wrestling wasn't something that you know you you just fall back on and you're just going to make money off it forever so he, he got himself educated and you know he has another job and he's making a lot more money than he than he would have had he been you know staying in TNA or or WWE or whatever but it's funny because um you don't really think about a lot of wrestlers being that, you know, no offense, but you don't think of them being like, oh, this guy, he's so smart and he's so well-educated, but Matt Morgan really truly is. And he doesn't really need the wrestling business, but it's sad because the wrestling business really needs him. I mean, they need a big guy. They need, I mean, look at The Undertaker right now. He's 50 years old and he's breaking down. Imagine if they had another young, big guy like that, athletic, uh, mobile, great talker, just can do it all. But, you know, it's a seven-foot monster that you'd be intimidated by, that you'd be scared by, but you could market that, you, that, you know, the WWE loves and that Vince McMahon would love. But they just don't have that because Morgan uh, is retired, and he had his last match against Bram, and you find out why he had that last match. Obviously, you had to do with his kids. So, I mean, 
it's just uh, sad that he's you know no longer in the business, that he's retired, and that he doesn't really need to come back. And quite frankly, I don't know if he would really want to come back. But please listen to the interview. It's such a great uh, interview with him, and, and it's great to hear that he's doing well outside of the business and he did, that he doesn't really need the business. But, hey, the business really needs him, and they could really use somebody like him who's basically a five-tool player. He's got it all. And the WWE sure as hell could use him right now with their uh, – horrible horrible ratings and tna could seriously use them right now because they are dying out they are a dying breed so matt morgan the wrestling business needs you but hey you do what you got to do because you certainly do not need the business well so looking at everything that we've said thus far and if matt morgan steps away from the pro wrestling business and he's done a really great job of uh kind of transitioning quite well into his new career and his new life but um you know he seemed like he was uh, kind of above the rest of the pack when it came to really being in tune with how he should be booked and we uh, we kind of joke about it that i said he should never leave his feet and if they were going to build him up to be a credible monster or somebody that they could really build a solid story around that you know matt morgan shouldn't be touched he should really be uh, special when he leaves his feet and when he takes a slam or when he gets knocked down and it kind of seemed like you know and we reverence it you know I feel like it's going to be a thousand times in this episode, start and stop booking that, you know, it looked like it was going to go that way and then it didn't. And then he would be pushed to the moon and then he's back in a tag team, you know, and there's guys that went to bat for him. Sure. But at the end of the day, you know, Matt Morgan really knew how he should have been booked. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that it wasn't really taken advantage of. But, you know, the question I'll just keep it as is, um, you know, did Matt Morgan really uh, seem to be ahead of the pack when it came to being in tune with how he should be booked? You know, uh, Matt Morgan, if you, when you're talking to him and how smart he is and, and how smart to the business he is, he sure does seem like someone who's above the rest of the pack, um, you know, when it comes to how in tune he is with how he should be booked. He knows who he is. He knows his character. He knows how he should be booked. And it's, we hear a lot of great stories with him, uh, stories with Hogan, stories with Flair, stories with Kurt Angle, and they all agreed, and obviously those are three great minds of the business and three of the greatest of all time, and they all agree that this seven-foot monster needs to be booked a certain way, and TNA certainly wasn't doing it, and WWE, quite frankly, wasn't doing it either. So, I mean, it's just crazy the way things work out in the business because it's sometimes to us as a fan, it's just, you know, cut and dry. Like, this guy is huge. He could wrestle. He could talk. He's great-looking. He's charismatic. Boom, five-tool player. Why isn't he the main eventer? Why isn't he the TNA world champion? And it's just funny because these bookers and, you know, Vince McMahon and the guys in charge of TNA and Dixie and everyone else, they just uh, can't seem to get it right. And it's, you know, weird that us as a fan, we can pretty much pick it out and tell you exactly what you should do. And WWE and TNA just, you know, didn't deliver and couldn't connect for whatever reason, just didn't uh, decide to pull the trigger. But Matt Morgan certainly knows how he should be booked and certainly knows, you know, his value and his size and his look. I mean, he's a monster. Book him as a monster. He's the man. But, uh, you know, too many screw-ups. And, you know, as I said before, he, he just he's making too much money outside of the business to really concern himself with, with all the screw-ups and, and, and whatnot going in the business. So, you know, he kind of almost, uh, you know, you could tell he's a bit pissed off about it because it could have ended up better. But, you know, he's in a better place now and he's doing great. And, and you know, he's with his son and everything else. So, I mean, you just... Um, you just look back and think, man, missed opportunity after missed opportunity. And this guy knew how he wanted to be booked, and he was so smart to the business. But the business wasn't smart enough for him. So 
great for Matt Morgan that he's doing great. And this interview is an epic. I absolutely loved it. And it was such an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to have Matt Morgan on. Without a doubt, a huge honor and an absolute epic. And it can file itself next to some of the other epics that we have in the iTunes directory. And primetime, you can give them all the information on that and the two-man power trip of wrestling business portion of the show. But I just want to close out on Morgan. And we talk about TNA, you know, not being able to book itself out of a paper bag in some instances. And that really is very unfortunate when it comes to some of the past guests that we've had on, like a Sam Shaw or a Magnus or a Gunner. And now you can file Matt Morgan in with that group because these are guys that they were always given something to work with. And they were always able to kind of step up and take the best of what they were given and make it into something that got over and make it something that would absolutely resonate with the crowd. And it's just looking back, you know, your armchair quarterback it to death. You know, you're, you're sitting here and we're, you know, just sitting on our couches and saying, oh, it could be better doing this. Or we watch a couple weeks worth of the show. Oh, they could maybe do this different. But at the end of the day, uh, it's TNA that really left the money on the table and left the money in their pockets and invested it in other ways. And fortunately for Matt Morgan, he has moved on to bigger and better things. And all the best to him and his family. And you're going to hear a great story about how his family has overcome some adversity. So all the best to the Morgans. And with that being said, all the best are going to be heading over to Meowbox and Meowbox.com. Because when you enter the code POWERTRIP10 into the box, the checkout box on Meowbox.com, you're going to get 10% off your first monthly box subscription on Meowbox and Meowbox.com. Remember, it's Power Trip 10 in all capitals. And primetime, I can't stop remembering Power Trip 10. I, I literally dream about it. It's on the tip of my tongue. When I'm walking down the street, I just want to tell everybody Power Trip 10, Meowbox.com. But I'm going to let you tell everybody else what you have to say about Meowbox and Meowbox.com. Take it, partner. Oh, yeah, chatty boy, Meowbox.com. Meowbox does have a great service called One Box Cam where everyone purchased, you will donate a can of food to a shelter cat. So that is great on their behalf. Also, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where items are coming from. And for picky cats like mine, my little cat Lucy, who does have a very, very picky diet, you can get your Meow Box without edible items. You can get them with toys and surprises, which Lucy loves, and your cat will as well. So please, MeowBox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, that's MeowBox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10. And now on to for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at WrestlingPal and at Two Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube, subscribe to us on iTunes as well. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, check out previous episodes with WWE's Kane, WWE's Dean Ambrose, good old JR Jim Ross, Hartley Race, the late great Dusty Rhodes, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and so many others. Also, check out the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Also, check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. We are live and in color every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. And that is, again, the I-95 Sports Network, so check us out there. And also, to book Kevin Furtig, a.k.a. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, please email us, bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Kevin Furtig, a.k.a. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, is the man. And he's back, baby. So if you want to book him, contact us through there. And now, without any further ado... 
We sent it to one of our favorite interviews of all time. One of our best, quite frankly. This was an epic. It's a long one, and it's a great one. It's what we love, a straight shooter, no bullshit, passion. You know, just straight up awesome, you know, awesomeness. I can't even uh, find a better uh, way to describe it. It's just such a fun interview. It's such a great time interviewing him, and, and he gave us a great amount of time, which we greatly appreciated. And we hope to have him on again in the future because he was just awesome. Now, without any further ado, we send it to the former OVW champion and the former TNA Tag Team champion. He is a five-tool player. He is the blueprint, Matt Morgan. Please enjoy. But he can beat you with his mind. But he's also been known to be a beast, a blueprint, and a carbon footprint. But today, Matt Morgan, who's a former two-time TNA Tag Team Champion, is here to join the two-man power trip of wrestling, and we couldn't be happier to have him on with us today. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's a real honor. I listen to your show actually pretty frequently when I'm in the gym uh, doing cardio. So, uh, big fan of the show. All right, that's always uh, that's a great start, uh, without a doubt. So thank you very much. But you know, I want to ask you right out of the gate, and it, it has to do with uh, the ever revolving world of TNA wrestling, a place that I know you know a lot about, and we're going to get a lot into it. But your last uh, appearance there, we know it was a, a quick one or two shot that you did, and yeah. now coming out this week as well is that uh, they're ceasing to be on Destination America now after 2015. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that last run? What do you have to say about uh, being there for those couple shots? Was, it, was there a different change in the, uh, the dynamic, or was it just same old TNA? You know, it's hard. I don't want to, you know, what's the word? I don't want to. It was such an, uh, an encapsulated type of experience because what I saw might have been everybody's A game or best face or best foot forward because – they know they were getting me there for three hours one day and then, what, four hours a day of the pay-per-view, you know? Um, so when, the, when you have a special guest come in or an older talent come in and come out of retirement for one match, you're going to get everybody's smiley face. Do you know what I'm saying? You're not going to get the shit. Have we got the curse on here? Yeah, go ahead. Let it fly. You're not going to get everybody's shit end of the story. I'm not going to hear the drama, per se. I'm not going to hear... Um, you know, God, this place sucks. Why'd you come back, Morgan? Are you crazy? You know, I didn't get anything like that. Um, but nor would I, I don't think either, because I was there for such a short time. Everyone's just trying to catch up with what's going on and, you know, what I've been up to and things like that. These are people that were like family members to me, a lot of them. Um, and ironically, like a week or two after I left, most of those quote unquote family members was leaving TNA anyway. So go figure yeah, exactly. And no, you were you know put into a pretty uh, pretty decent position because they had a uh, you know pretty long long form story going with Bram and that he was uh, kind of taking guys mm -hmm. out left and right. And you actually came to the aid of Vader, which was uh, kind of surreal to see in its own because he's uh, he's kind of changed his whole look and uh, is in much better shape than the last time we saw him on WWE TV uh, a couple sure. years back, which he still looked great then. 
But right. what did you think about working with Bram? What did you think of the match itself? It was a pretty, uh, you know, it was pretty. Like I said, it was it was a pretty long form story they had going with him. But what was your uh, what was your thoughts on working Bram? I was here's the thing. Um, I'm re- I'm retired, retired. Like I have no. I love pro wrestling. I love watching it still when I can. When I'm, you know, I, I try to I DVR it all the time. I'm always trying to catch up on Raw and NXT, especially NXT. Um, Impact, not as much, not because it's an inferior show or because I don't think it's as good or whatnot. I just honestly didn't know what channel it had been changed to. I didn't even know if I got Destination America. And then by that point, I don't have the time to be looking around for shit like that. Um, I'm chasing my kid all over the place. You know what I mean? I'm coming home from a real nine-to-five job as well. And I'm training to do a men's physique competition that's coming up. I'm doing that when I come home from work. Balanced in there with being a dad. So... I don't. I, when that show got switched to that network, I had no clue what network it was. I never heard of it. I didn't know what channel it was. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know what I mean? So, I didn't think it was going to be a good experience for them because if I'm a guy who's loyal to TNA and I love everyone that works there, and that's how I'm thinking, and that's the logic that I'm using, what the hell are the fans' logic, and what are they going to be thinking when they made the change to that network? It's going to be even less. Um, wanting to give them the, the chance to watch it on TV because they're probably like, I only never heard of this channel, you know? Right. You, you, and, you, and you lose fans doing that. Um, but it's not like they had a choice, so it is what it is. But um, uh, anyway, so I was retired, retired, and I, you know, I still am. And I was no intentions of coming out and uh, of retirement, but um, every once in a while I'd get a, a text or a call from a voice message, rather, from Big, you know, from um, uh, John Gaberic from... Um, he was the guy. He was a guy that had a lot to do with me being on Tough Enough too, back in uh, 2000. A big, big believer in mine, of mine. And um, so he took over creative right when I left TNA. And we always wanted to work with one another, obviously. But um, he's always trying to like just give me a little uh, check in here and there to see if I'd be willing to come back. And uh, once he, I think he figured out for sure that I really was done with it. Done with it. You know, he kind of like kind of stopped. But then. Uh, he approached me with an opportunity to come back just for like a one-time only thing if I was interested. They were now filming again at Universal Studios. They were no longer on the road like they were when I left. Um, that's 20 minutes from my house, Universal. Um, and more importantly, I was going through this this stage with my son now, Jackson, who's 20 months old. And I know every dad probably says this about their kid, but when wrestling comes on, their kid watches it, he's into it. He legitimately is. Like, he sits there on my lap and will not take his eyes off the TV set, whether it's the divas wrestling, whether it's the guys, it doesn't matter. His eyes are glued to that set. And so I'm sitting there watching it with him going, you know, damn, I am still feel like, you know, physically I'm in my prime. You know, it would be really cool to be able to let him, you know, to, to be able to say my son saw me wrestle live, you know. And he's not going to be able to say that when he gets older, you know. And I thought that that, that was kind of shitty, you know, but. In the long run, what I'm doing is what's best for my family, of course. But for, for that little braggadocious type of moment that my kid would never have, you know, when he's watching Daddy on YouTube with his buddies when he's in third grade, let's say, years from now. That's right. when he's going to be able to see what Daddy did, right? So I was like, it'd be pretty, you know, so here comes Big. He makes me an offer to work um, uh, Bram, who's a good buddy of mine. And they're trying to get him over. They're trying to get him to the next level of a main event act. And for whatever rhyme or reason, the guys that they're feeding him or having him work with, it's not really working. Um, 
I mean, you could see they wanted to get behind. They wanted to get behind him. It's just the talent that he was working with, other than Magnus, really wasn't helping him get there. Minus Magnus. Um, so I was honored to finally be asked. You know, to to I had been always been on the take, so to speak, when I wrestled. I was the young guy, always wrestling the Stings and the Kurt Angles and the Steiners to help get me to that level, right? So here's the first time I'm now being asked to do that for a younger guy, and I thought that was really cool, and I wanted to always be able to give back and do that if it ever helped somebody, obviously. Um, so, one, I was honored by that, and then, two, what a hell of an opportunity to be able to have my kid come sit there in the front row with my wife, and I remember telling my wife, I'm like, you videotape my entire match with your camera phone or whatever phone, whatever camera you need, but I want proof of my boy watching me wrestle live so he'll be able to show to his buddies one day, you know, to say, look, yeah, I did see my dad wrestle live. That was a big thing. That was probably the biggest part of this for me, you know. So that's why I went back and decided to, to take them up on that offer, that one-time appearance only, while also, you know, doing the honors for a guy that I, I'm friends with and I thought – is very very deserving of it and um you know if i can help him get even more established or a little bit more over even an inch more over then so be it i definitely would be honored by by that and that those are the two main reasons why i went back that's uh that's a hell of a reason and that's uh very valiant of you you know to want to give your son that memory at a young age because uh, i think every dad speaking from for myself speaking for john if there's that one thing that we know that can leave an imprint at some point in a child's life, uh, with wrestling being as big as it is to you and part of your life, yeah. you know that's a hell of a uh, that's a hell of a good reason. Now, one thing you mentioned was uh, Destination America being a destination uh, channel that no people really, heard of. right people can't find. Now you would right. think that a product like TNA and a channel nobody's ever heard of, you'd think that that would basically become right. the TNA Impact Wrestling 100%. channel to combat a I don't know. Uh, Huge undertaking by the WWE launching their own yep. network, but yep. here we are six months after they get on to Destination <clears throat> America, and Ring of Honor <clears throat> is now the lead-in for <clears throat> TNA Wrestling. But let's yeah. even fast-forward past that, and let's talk about the fact that Jeff Jarrett and Global Force Wrestling just invaded TNA, which I think really, again, soured a lot of fans and wanted to talk about start and stop booking as we go along. Do you think mm -hmm. having a, a, you know, a Global Force invasion so early into global force and you know you know jeff jarrett yeah. the way that you do you think that that was a big mistake for both parties and that actually and no, before we even I get to that i'm sorry go ahead no no before we get to that what no i was gonna say have you did jeff approach you about joining global force at all yeah definitely jeff actually i did i remember asking um Jeff about, hey, did you hear that TNA contacted me about coming back? Because Jeff I hadn't spoken to in a while. And I'm, uh, Jeff's another guy that's always been a backer of mine to a degree and somebody that gives me an opportunity when it when it would come, you know, come up. He'd always, you know, believe in me and give me that, that, that fair shake, you know. Um, so Jeff, the day he called me, I'm not exaggerating, the same exact day he called me to um, – uh, he wanted me to do one of those house shows, I believe, or something like that. He had asked me to do um, for uh, Global Force. Um, and this was a while back. We're talking like March or April. And um, for an upcoming date, I, and I, forget, I don't even remember the date or the whereabouts of this place because I already you know, told him there's no way I could because I'm working, you know. And I enjoy my job, and there's no way I could take off from work to do that kind of thing. And um, no, I have no desire to wrestle, really. So that same that same morning, early on, 
um, I had I had a voicemail from Big from TNA as well. And I had asked Jeff, hey, do you know why Big might be calling me by any chance? You know, are you still in, in touch with TNA at all? That kind of a thing. And he's like, no, I have no idea. And I was like, huh, that's just ironic that, you know, both of you guys call me on the same exact day, you know, and I haven't heard, you know, it's been two years since I've been on TV. You know what I mean? So I just thought it was kind of weird. But there's nothing to it, obviously. Um, so uh, anyways, the, GF, the, the answer to your question about the GFW invasion, I just thought, for Jeff's perspective, it's great. Are you kidding me? They have no, they have no, at the time, there's zero brand awareness except for what he's done with his amazing job of doing his online marketing campaign, obviously. But as far as a on television presence, there was zero. So to be able to get on an actual network and invade another company, no matter who it is, as long as it's national television, is nothing but a coup and a win for him. No question. TNA. I thought that was very, 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 very foolish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, unless, like, unless, now hear me out, unless there was a long-term plan to get right. back in bed with Jeff and Jeff go back to doing what he had done with TNA in the past and be the head booker or part owner, you know, whatever it is. Um, then that's a different thing. I don't know that, and I'm not privy to information, so I honestly don't know. I'm guessing that wasn't the case because TNA is no longer on Destination America. So, right. I mean, I don't think that's the the, the, the death nail. Um, I think the death nail was from the very beginning, no matter what, just because TNA was such a – that stuff with Spike TV, I mean, between – I love him to death. He's probably one of the guys that did the most for me in this business. I love Hulk, Hulk Hogan, right? That said, with him, Eric, I mean, God, they spent so much money at TNA bringing all these people in, and nothing affected the ratings. You could bring Jesus Christ to that show on Spike Television, and nothing was going to move that needle the way that people assume that needle can just be moved by star power. It just doesn't happen overnight. It takes not even months. It takes years. It just does. It's just the way it works. And Still, we spent all that money on those guys coming in, and nothing really came of it. I'm sorry, the 1.4 is not a big enough number for me to be impressed with all those guys that we had on that show, that January 4th show way back, you know, for Spike. Yeah. I'm sorry, that does not equate to that, the, the number, the money we spent on that to come out with a 1.4. Anyways, but that should have been the biggest lesson that, okay, here's a little here's a little news piece here, a little tidbit here we need to remember here, TNA. We need to remember that no matter who we bring in here on TV, no matter how big the star is, it don't mean shit. And it's not going to equate to an, an initial ratings uh, pop. We might go up point percentages uh, or .04, whatever. But that's not enough to be spending millions of dollars on, on a talent. So let's think differently. Let's go the opposite. Spe- let's go on the other opposite side of the spectrum. And let's go with young talent that our fans are nonstop badgering us about to start booking more on television and they want to see more of. Let's try that because that's the only other option. But we, we didn't do that. We almost ignored them, I felt. And the Samoa Joes, the AJ Styles, the me, the, my character, Magnus, eventually, I mean, he got his just due eventually, but it was once everyone left. Um, uh, who else am I leaving out? A whole host of the X Division guys, Daniels, all these guys. Um, TNA Originals, if you want to call them that. Um, all those guys, right? The fans were clamoring to see the guys that were right below the Kurt Angles and the Scott Steiners, right? Get their just due in the main event picture, not just once in a while. You know, but period. These are our new main event guys. 
this is the company, this, these are the guys that are now, we're backing the company behind. You know what I mean? Like a whole movement, if you will. And, and that's the way wrestling's supposed to work. And the guys that are standing by getting ready to take over the mantle, you give them their opportunity. You don't look for reasons for them to fail. You look for reasons for them to succeed. And it almost felt like they were always looking for reasons for us to fail, you know, and we yeah. get our opportunity. And it was always a half-assed opportunity at that. It was never one of us being put over strong on, on a Kurt or, 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 or guy that, even though Kurt would do a job to the referee if, if somebody asked him. Kurt, you know what I mean? Kurt does not care if he wins or loses because he's a pro and he gets it's not fucking real, you know? <laughs> he knows right. that somebody clued him in it to work. Um, here you have this unbelievable talent that everyone recognizes who wants to help get younger talent over. And then the writers would literally, like, feel the need to continue to protect these guys in a situation where, all right, let's have Matt slip over. Ooh, I'm seven feet, 300 pounds. Why, why are we even mentioning the word slip over? <laughs> Did you know what I mean? What, what, mm-hmm. what fantasy world am I not connected to where it wouldn't, where it doesn't make sense for someone of my size and my look and my intensity to absolutely rip somebody's head off and shit down their neck. I mean, I would, please explain to me the suspension of disbelief that that you know what I mean that I'm missing here, where that yeah. doesn't seem believable to you guys. It, almost, it makes me think like the guys writing the show are the bigger marks. Exactly, because they're the ones going. There's no way Matt Morgan could just cleanly beat blah blah blah. There's no way Samoa Joe, he's overweight and da 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 da, can beat Scott Steiner crystal clear. Yes, there is. There actually is a way. <laughs> Um, it is believable because the fans tell us it's believable by the reaction they're giving Samoa Joe or AJ, right? That's the yeah. telltale sign right there that they do believe and they want to suspend the disbelief for those guys. Oh, so, totally. I mean, Matt Morgan shouldn't be leaving his feet unless it's going to mean something. Well, that's a whole other conversation, uh, no question. I mean, yeah, like we said at the top, you know, you're, you're, you were, you're the, the beast – you know, for a reason, and that's uh, that's the part. Like, you know, we were going to repeat this a million times in that start and stop booking. But let's talk about the fact right. that you did step away from wrestling. And, yeah. you know, that's actually something I'm almost, because you mentioned it so many times so far, and I really want to know. When you stepped away, and I, we've mm-hmm. seen your career from basically the start on TV. We've mm-hmm. seen you progress, go through gimmicks, go right. through changes, and grow right. into who you were. Was it bittersweet to step away? And obviously, you know, it looks like you're, you're doing very well for yourself. And so it was a great decision. But how was that stepping away and watching the business changing as you left? Way, 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 way easier than I thought it would be. I thought I would have a breakdown. I thought I would cry for a day. I didn't know what to expect, but I thought it would be a lot more emotional. And it wasn't. And my, my, it's not because I don't love wrestling. So anyone who says that can suck it because that's not what it is. You don't do something for 12 years if you don't fucking love it. Sorry. You know what I mean? And put your family's um, entire future or what they want to do maybe on hold so I can live out my dream. You see what I'm saying? You don't do that if you don't love something. I'm sorry. So it wasn't because I don't love it. It's because my, my situation is different than everyone else's, at least that I know of. Mine was me and my wife were told we could not have a kid for 10 years straight. We had no shot in hell of having a kid, not naturally, not through IVF. We went through seven bouts of IVF over that 10-year window, over 100 grand spent, and to no avail. Okay, We both were told on our own accords in separate 
conversations with doctors that my wife just is not going to be fertile enough to be able to give to be able to get pregnant than me on my own accord. I've got all this shit wrong with me, and I'm never going to be able to help procreate a, a, a child. Okay, so I can't have a kid. Basically, is what they're telling me. Now we're married together, so you, it's like you, they would like almost. I don't want to say they'd laugh, but the doctors would be like, "Are you kidding me? Look at your guys' level. You guys have no chance in hell." <laughs> and they wouldn't say it that meanly, obviously. But my point is, so when here, here, ten years later, I'm sorry, and you're eleven of trying to have kids, I should say, we start looking into adopting, and what do you know happens? She naturally gets pregnant, naturally. No medicine, no nothing. So I couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? I was floored with that. And it's the best news I've ever had in my life. And it took over every emotion I've ever had that wrestling's ever given me, that anything I've ever done on my own individual accord has ever given me through athletics and being this all-American athlete, you know, multi- from, from high school and then stuff through college, I played ball and, and all these other achievements, NBA trials, NFL, you name it, any achievement I've ever had, none of that is within the walking distance of this achievement I felt, you know, that this gift coming that my wife was now pregnant, right? So this gift is on its way. And then finally, you know, um, I, I decided to leave TNA because storyline-wise, there was only one place for me to go, and that was to be the heavyweight champion. That's the only thing left that I didn't do there. And I just felt like I was being jerked around there toward the end because there was way too many cooks in the kitchen between, you know, Bruce, Eric, uh, Vince before he left, um, and you had Matt Conway and Dave Lagan in there as well, I believe. So I, I was being... Toward the end there, I, I believe the final straw for me, it had been going on, like you said, the start-stop bullshit with me. It had been going on for a few years there, right? And I had my coming-out party, Bound for Glory versus Kurt Angle. Wrestling's future versus wrestling's best, right? Well, you would think that they'd get me to the finish line. They put an entire year of, of, of storyline writing into this to where finally Matt Morgan gets over the hump, right? He's now that main event attraction act, yada, yada, yada. No, they have Kurt go over, which Kurt was irate about. Kurt like was fighting them on this, and the whole day we could he couldn't get it changed, but he tried. I watched him, and anyways, the crowd still gave gave us a standing ovation because I just went uh, twenty two twenty four minutes with Kurt Angle bell to bell with the match of the night. And if you go back and you watch that Battle for Glory, I'll put it against any of those matches. I'll put it against AJ and Sting. I'll put it against Abyss and Mick Foley. Watch it back, and we get a standing up um, that night. Um, best false finishes that night by far. And I'm not saying it to sound arrogant, but we did. My point is, even though I lost that match, I learned a valuable lesson, that we still got me to that point. We still got Matt Morgan to that finish line without me having to pin Kurt, technically. So what do they do for follow-up? They put me in a tag team with Sean Hernandez for no rhyme or reason. But, 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 but they're going to, Matt, you're going to be the tag team champion. And I was like, you must think I'm the biggest mark on the planet. I don't give two shits if I'm a champion or not, guys. That's, it's, it's, not, it's not a real belt. <laughs> you know, we did all this work storyline-wise to get me to a certain crescendo, and you're just shitting all over that crescendo a week later. We just did the hardest thing possible. This crowd organically at the end of the match gave me their respect, which they'd never done before. You know? So I was just, I was, that, was, that, that was the beginning of me starting to feel let down, right? And then that, that was 2000, I forget what year that was, but this 
kept happening for another three or four years. So finally, when Eric and Bruce and all these other, we have all these new cooks in the kitchen creatively, uh, it was his last storyline with Sting, where he was supposed to put me in Scorpion Deathlock, and I don't tap out, right? I don't tap out. I'm too tough to tap out. But unfortunately, I tap out, right? So it was a way to protect me. But we have a comeback to where I face Sting at the next upcoming, uh, I believe it was going to be Bound for Glory, where I was going to retire him is what I was told, okay? Well, I hear that there changed, that, that, that something had changed, and now Sting was going to be bringing back the main event mafia, okay? This, this is right around that time, if you guys remember, um, where the MMA kid was there. I forget who his name was. Um, and then they had Samoa Joe in it, and I believe Magnus in it, in the group, right? So well, where did that leave me, you know? And I saw that writing on the wall, and I was like, that, that, that's the straw that broke my back. You know, I was just like, guys, you keep telling me one thing, and then another thing happens. So, you know what? I hate being – I'm not saying you guys are lying to me, but it, 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 it doesn't matter. It's just not happening of what we said was going to happen. So I felt like I've done everything I could here. Um, the next step for me is a world champion. If, if you guys, you guys keep telling me that one day, if I'm just being, if I can just be patient, that it's going to happen for me, I, I, I'm done. I don't need to be a champion that bad. I need to be on TV and feel like what I'm doing actually matters and I'm being used to my fullest potential. Not every wrestler can say that. In fact, 90% of us are not used to our fullest potential. So I can get in line and sing in that sad song. I get that. But that's how I felt. So I felt it was time to leave, go back to WWE. And that was my intention. I was going to go back to what I was going to redebut with WWE and at Royal Rumble. And January 7th comes, and guess who's born? My son. The first second, I mean, my wife had this crazy bird process. Okay, it was in, as intense as it can possibly be. We almost lost him. He finally comes out via C section, right? And he's not breathing for about a minute and a half straight. And the the curtain the, the sheets up so my wife can't see nothing she can she can slightly feel certain things but she has no clue that he's out yet because he's not crying obviously because he's not breathing so I'm completely trying to no sell it the best I can so she doesn't panic and I just started right there I started praying I got my hands and knees and I just started kind of like holding her hand but like in my own breath uh, holding my breath kind of praying to myself in my head right. You know, God, you let him come out of this. I promise this boy will see me every single day and every single night of my life. I'll never leave this boy's side. You know, I'll now not take this gift for granted. And about two minutes in, he starts breathing. And I just lost it. I really just lost it. And that's the most most empowering type feeling I've ever had in my life, the most emotional I've ever been in my life, and the happiest I've ever been by far and away in my life. And I realize it doesn't matter what I do for work. What matters is I'm here for this boy and this gift that God just put right on my lap, you know. And how ridiculous would that be of me and selfish to go back to chasing that 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 invisible carrot dangling and that dangle in front of my face, my own face for that matter. That is pro wrestling and that limelight to 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 to, to go do that shit versus being there for my kid every day, you know, and him having a present father you know, that appreciates having him, you know, so to each their own, some guys don't have any other, uh, they, some of them didn't graduate college, you know what I mean? Some of these guys that are wrestling, and I'm not judging any of these fathers or mothers that have to be on the road wrestling, that, trust me, they all wish they could be home with their kid 24-7, every single one of them, um, but I just decided to make the decision that I know I can go do something else, and my kid will be just as proud of me as far as that goes, you know, I have a college degree, and that's what I, I 
I decided to start using, you know, and um, I, I bring them to daycare every morning. I pick them up every evening when I'm done. Um, shoot, I'm the top uh, regional uh, manager at the moment with my medical device company with zero training or zero sales experience beforehand, you know, so it, it's worked out really, really well. And I get paid more than I did when I was with TNA, which I, which I didn't, wasn't, that wasn't a selling point for me whatsoever. That was just gravy on the top because I'm super aggressive and competitive in everything that I do. So if you're the number one anything at anything, you're always going to be financially taken care of. You know what I'm saying? So that's the story, and that's where I'm at. Now, that is great. You know, obviously, the birth of your son. I mean, that I want to rewind back, and not so much mm-hmm. the beginning, but right to when you started in the, the WWE and you were on Tough Enough. Can you explain, you know, like the process of Tough Enough? Obviously, it's a lot different now how the, how the show is done, but then how was it's Tough Enough, and how was the process of getting on there? Hard, well, not hard, confusing, because I, all right, I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car um, as an intern in Stamford, Connecticut, and it was literally like a football throws away from WWE headquarters, Titan headquarters, Titan Towers, right? Right off of East Main Street in Stamford, Connecticut. And I'd see Tom Pritchard come through there. I'd see everybody, Vince McMahon, I'm sorry, the McMahons, they had this driver, and you'd see him on TV once in a while back in the day during the uh, Attitude Era, you know. And I was such—I still am such a mark, but I was such a mark back then. Like I knew exactly who he was. But oh my God, it's the McMahon's driver, you know. I'm marking out huge behind the desk, and he'd come in, and they would get rentals from us for—for for, I don't even know for who. I'm assuming the McMahon's. But um, eventually, I, you know, uh, started asking Tom Pritchard, "What do I, you know? I'm a huge fan of wrestling. What is, what is it that I got to do?" To, to, to become a wrestler is there is there a, i read online there's some schools i can go to would you suggest something like that i'm fresh out of college uh, i'm about to be fresh out of college in a few more months here and graduate and uh so long story short i started working out at, at the gym there at titan towers and i literally bumped into vince mcmahon after six months of trying to go and bump into him one time in the gym that was always the goal you know and uh, he saw the size of me, asked me how tall I was, how much I weigh, where I'm from. And uh, basically, a long story short, I asked him the same question I asked Tom Pritchard. And uh, he put me in contact, I believe, with Jim Ross um, and gave me some other contact information. And basically, uh, Kevin Kelly as well, I was in contact with. And they basically all said the same thing, like, hey, you know, you're 20, whatever the hell I was. If you're going to start, you should, you need to start now. So, um, you know, we're doing this show called Tough Enough. We can't gimmick it, rig it for you, for you to get on it. You got to get on it on your own accord. But our suggestion is, you know, you're a big, impressive-looking guy. Send in a video, and let's see what happens. And give it to Kevin Kelly. So I gave my video, my audition to Kevin Kelly. He was supposed to turn it in for Tough Enough 1, and I don't know what happened. Something happened where it didn't get sent in in time, and I missed the cutoff somehow. That's all I remember. Then, miraculously, season two comes, and I get a call from MTV telling me I've been invited out to Las Vegas to because I surpassed the first rounds of auditions. And I was like, okay, you know what I mean? I was excited. I was ecstatic. So I go out to Vegas and cut a promo in the ring about, you know, I saw every big muscle head and their mother friggin' trying out for this show. And they all, there's guys that were bigger than me too, no question. 
But they all did the same thing. They're all snorting and snarling and screaming and this and that. And I, I was like, as big as we are, they're going to think we're full of ourselves. That's going to be a given, even though it might not be true. So why not just show them the humble side of you? You know, that's why I kept thinking to myself. Show them the intellectual side. You know, don't, don't, don't be the screamer. And uh, I failed at something. I forget what it was. And I just wanted to, I, I legit wanted to keep trying it. Like, even after they were done shooting, like, the camera the camera on me, failing at what, I think it was a kip-up or something. And I legit wanted to keep trying and uh, to do it because I knew I could do it. I was pissed I couldn't. And uh, so they just, little things like that they were impressed with, I guess. I don't know. You'd have to ask them that. But that's how I ended up getting picked on the show. They ended up picking me because I had probably more potential than the rest of the bigger guys, I'm guessing. Or I, that's something you'd have to ask them. But that's how I got started with Tough Enough. And so I don't know if I want to say that's hard or not. I just know once we got on the show, it was hard. I was no damn joke. Now, I remember you kind of like left the show due to injury, but eventually you would sign on with the WWE. I believe it was around 2002. How about this one? Event, not eventually. I was signed before that show was even done airing. I was in OVW paying oh, my wow. dues for three and a half months already. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I was already down there going through. I did went through my knee rehab. Got it, uh, got it back to where it needed to be at. Lost weight like I desperately needed to, and uh, I was in a ring with guys like God, like you. You just interviewed him, Mordecai, Kevin Fertig, um, guys that had been working the Indies, had way more experience than me, that could lead my big goofy ass through a plausible match, or as plausible as it's going to be with working with a Frankenstein. <laughs> Um, you know, they, they, so things like that. So I learned a lot from those types of guys. And, uh, and while the show was still yet to air, keep in mind, you know what I'm saying? So then the show airs, the two girls eventually are the winners. I've now put in almost six months of work in OVW by this point, And they're just getting brought down there. So yeah, no, there was nothing eventually being signed. I got signed way, way, way before the show was even aired. Huh. Oh, did not know that. That's pretty, that's pretty interesting that, you know, that basically we're thinking one thing watching the show, and then obviously it's different behind the scenes because, you know, you're already yeah, signed. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Now, nowadays they have uh, NXT, and obviously it's a lot different than when OVW was the uh, developmental league. And uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch any NXT or any seen the uh, performance center, but it's uh, top notch, and it's almost like a. Uh, indie on steroids you you might be able to say but what what was that ovw like back then and and have you seen nxt in the performance center i live again 20 minutes from the performance center downtown orlando where where they're at (laughs) um that's probably maybe maybe 22 minutes tops from where i live in orlando so um yeah i see it all the time um it's gorgeous that said um, OVW, when I first got there, I'm sure Kevin went in this with his interview, I'm not sure, but it was a real hole-in-the-wall shithole um, in Indiana. Like, there was holes in the window. It was in a, an abandoned warehouse, basically, where Danny Davis had his own office. That was the only thing that was semi-resemblance of any type of uh, office, I guess you would call it. Um, everything else was just, like, looked like, basically, a warehouse. Then we... Then they put some money behind the developmental, and they actually built uh, out of a much larger warehouse. You know, no holes in the windows, much nicer, a little bit, a lot more upscale. 
Um, we all had to work and paint, help paint and help set up different uh, risers for the chairs for the fans to be sitting on. And uh, we all pitched in and, and put together, I thought, a pretty cool um, little mini arena, OVW Davis Arena it became known as. But we all painted that and we all put that together. And um, it, it was pretty cool. It brought us all a lot closer together. And, again, might not have anything to do with actually learning to wrestle, but it, in a way – it, it was a camaraderie of learning that these are your brothers and sisters that you're going to be on the road with more than you with your family. So you got to learn to get along with each other. There's going to be times where you fight like Kevin. There was times me and Kevin Furtick used to fight with one another, but we, we were also very, very good friends, you know, but that's just how it was. You know what I mean? You, it's like going, it's like a fraternity. You know what I'm saying? It's like nobody can yep. talk shit about your, about your boys, but you, you know what I'm saying? You, like if somebody else said something about him, I'd want to kill him. I want to kill them. But you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like that. It's how it was with my football teams as well over the years. No, no different. Like a fraternity type of uh, existence or relationship, you know, and it's a lot closer and deep rooted than people give it credit for. So, um, but our batch of talent was ridiculously good. I was the greenest of the bunch. No question. I was the only one that didn't have any experience out of the group of signees that got signed together and started when we transitioned out of, it was right when uh, Cena got called up to uh, SmackDown, Brock Lesnar had just been called up. Randy Orton had just been called up. Shelton Benjamin was just about to be called up with Charlie Haas. So that group of talent right around that time and slightly after, I'll still to this day say the best crop of talent that company's ever had under the developmental, no question. Batista, it's, you, it's a who's who in wrestling. At one point, we commanded, I want to say, 92% of that wrestling roster. Um, but, again, because he, he, people have egos and people don't like to give Jim Cornette the credit the fucking guy deserves. Um, for whatever rhyme or reason, I know he can be loud and very a certain way that people might not like. But at the end of the day, the guy does know talent and he does know how to maximize like me, the, like I didn't know how to wrestle. So what they told Jimmy that Jimmy, you better get him on TV. We're paying him to learn how to wrestle. So get him on your TV show. What does he do? He has me come out and start doing tug of war competitions where I'm, I'm, I'm doing tug of war against these three jobbers and Kenny Bowen, their evil manager will come behind that rope as I'm about to beat these three jobbers and try to tie it to the back of a ring post unbeknownst to me somehow. And, um, I still win by pulling the entire fucking wrestling post down while beating these three guys at the same time. As ridiculous as that sounds, that arena went bananas. They went bananas, and they bought it hook, line, and sinker. As ridiculous as what I just explained sounds, and I do get it sounds ridiculous, it worked. <laughs> it, it totally worked, and he immediately had a white me baby face from that moment on. So that's what I mean, little things like that. Little tricks like that, that yeah, I get that's old school and it's kind of carny and it's kind of like, oh, that's cute for 1972. But it, there's, there's, if somebody would have been there to help maybe up, update certain things, I think that would have been the best of both worlds. Because psychology at the end of the day is psychology. And these guys are very talented, but let's be honest, a lot of these guys are getting, they cut their teeth at Ring of Honor. Let's call a spade a spade. 
okay, these, these guys that we see on TV that are doing really well. They got brushed up when they went to NXT, and they learned a WWE style on NXT, okay? But they're not going to come out there and say to you, well, you know something? NXT didn't show me shit. I learned all my shit at Ring of Honor, where I wrestled there for 10 years. They're not going to say that. They'll be fired. They, they, they like their jobs, and I don't blame them. But um, I'm sorry. The, the guys that you see got their experience from working independence, working all around the world internationally. Finn, Finn Balor is a great example of that. He, we, I'm sorry. He cut his teeth at, Ring, at, at New Japan. He got his experiences from New Japan. And I'm sure there's no question about it. There's things that these guys from Ring of Honor had to slow down on as far as making their spots and their big offensive moments mean more. And that's what NXT definitely, I guarantee you, showed them, and Hunter showed them, and the trainers there showed them. But as far as the it, the it factor, the talent, the ability, they cut the teeth of Ring of Honor, in my opinion, or New Japan, or wherever. And then there's certain guys like Roman Reigns, who, no question, got his from NXT. You, you see what I'm saying? So I, I don't think, uh-huh. I don't know. And OVW was kind of similar like that. Like, those guys, like Rene Dupree, he got his... I thought the world of him. I thought that guy was going to be the next big thing. I thought he was going to be a multi-time world champion. He was so young and so damn talented and so believable and just perfect in the ring, I always thought. Anyways, he was an example of somebody that, like, he got his from his father. Like, all oh, the experience he got on the road working Indies and whatnot, wherever he was from in Canada, you know? And then when he came to OVW, sure, there was some gimmick changes maybe and some things we did to that Jimmy might have done to, to, to give him some sizzle. But the, the know-how, the actual experience of what happens if the ropes break in the middle of the ring, like he got that from where he grew up wrestling. You know what I mean? So I, I think they're both similar in that regard. And I don't think one developmental league should always just be like a thousand percent credited, you know, for a lot of these guys that had been working the Indies for like 12 or 15 years. And then they go through there six months later, they're on TV. Kevin Steen, great example. That dude's been ready. I thought that dude's been ready for the last three years. But what the hell do I know? <laughs> it's funny. I mean, obviously, nowadays, you get a lot of the guys from other places, and they go to NXT, and they build themselves up, and they go to WWE. And obviously, back then, it was OBW. You build yourself up, and then you end up on, right. at this point, either Raw or SmackDown, because they had the, the brand split then. So you're, you know, you're cutting your teeth in OVW. You're making your way up, and pretty soon and pretty quickly, they call you up to SmackDown. What was that like being called up? And did you feel like you were ready at that point? Oh fuck no! I knew I wasn't ready. They told me I wasn't ready. I mean, Dave Lagana came to me in OVW locker room one day, and he was like, "We're bringing you up to TV," and I was really excited, obviously. Um, and he goes, "Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of jealousy. Guys are going to have you have a big target on your back, Matt." You know, you're bigger than all the guys to begin with, generally speaking. Um, so you got that going, that working against you. <laughs> and he's like, well, we feel like you have the aptitude to be able to pick this up fast. And it's it's a great opportunity for you if you're ready for it, you know. And I was like, fuck yeah. Look, let me say no. So, you know, I get brought up with Nathan Jones. And he was right. It was a good opportunity for me and both Nathan Jones because we were under the tutelage of Brock. We're his heaters, right? So we weren't given too many responsibilities on television as far as, like, me wrestling a singles match for 20 minutes ago, right? 
I'd be in six-man tags all the time on house shows with Brock, watching him work the strong style, working like how a big man should work. And he literally would call shit out to me. Like he'd take Bob Holly or Billy Gunn or somebody like that and put him in a hold, and he'd look right over at me and be like, that's how it's done. Yeah, like he'd, he'd literally say, that's how he'd coach and teach. You know, like, and that's the best teaching you can kind of get, in my opinion, is out there on house shows. You know, and then vice versa, the Bob Hollies or the Billy Guns, who were my opponents a lot of the time, same type of shit. They were just in the middle of the ring, like, this is how it's done, and then, boom, do it. You know, or things like that. That's just on-the-job on the training that I was just not going to get anymore in OVW because I needed guys that was that much more experienced and seasoned to help me get to that next level, right? So I was able to do that on house shows by wrestling these matches, and then we'll come TV the responsibilities weren't as mu- weren't as much. I was on, I mean, we'd be in these main events on SmackDown, sure, but they'd be in a, a tag match or a six-man tag or an eight-man tag. So I'd be protected. So with Nathan. And it was a really great gimmick because eventually the goal was, this, this is what I was told, and who the hell knows if it was true or not, but they hadn't lied to me up until this point, as far as booking goes. Uh, me and Nathan would eventually take on the world's greatest tag team at WrestleMania 20. But then Nathan quit, you know, when we went to Australia. And that was kind of like the beginning of the end because not too long after that, then Brock decided to go play in the NFL or try out for the NFL. And then they were just like, we, you know, there's not, we don't really have anything for you right now creatively. Let's, we brought you up too prematurely as it was. So let's, 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 let's just slow down. Um, how do you feel about going back down to OVW? And I told him the truth. I was like, I feel like I've let you down. I feel like a failure if I'm going back down there, if I'm being honest with you guys. Um, but I know that my only experience I had when I was down in OVW was as a baby face. I'd never worked as a heel except for like maybe some wrestling heat drills during practice, but that's not the same as calling a match on the fly as a heel. And I, I never did any of that at that point. I only worked as a baby face for like six months on OVW TV before I was called up to SmackDown. So I was excited to go back down when I really started to give it the right the right frame of mind and look at it the right way and go, look, you can stay up here. They could put you on velocity. They could put you on SmackDown once in a while, and you're going to show your ass. Or, you know, and then you, then you get fired. Or you can go back down to OVW and prove, work on being a heel, work on being able to lead a match if, God forbid, it needed to be led because of an injury or something like that, you know, and show them your worth. And uh, that's what I tried to go do. And then they had the, then, and then you know the rest of the story. Vince McMahon had the ingenious idea of making his seven foot, 300 pound steroid free monster stutter. <laughs> but I, I definitely wanted to ask you about that because it's so weird. Like, obviously, you returned to SmackDown after you, you were OVW champion a couple times. And you right. come back, and they give a huge guy who, who you think Vince McMahon would love, you know, a huge guy. A great athlete. And, and, oh, yeah. And let me say, this, no. was, this wasn't a. This, <laughs> this, right. I'm, I'm going to cut you off. This wasn't Vince tongue in cheek going, ah, ha, ha, this will fuck with him. I assure you. I assure you. As, mm. as confident as you guys might think he is, or as evil as you might think he is, there's no. I was in his office almost every every week at TV. So there's like, there's no. Dis, I'd like to think I can judge if somebody likes me or not. You know what I mean? And I knew, I knew Vince before I even started with WWE. 
You know, he told me 300 different times, I'm his personal pet project, that kind of a thing. She was behind every single camera I ever spoke. Like, anytime I did a promo with that veteran character, Vince is behind that camera. He didn't do that for everybody. In fact, he didn't do that for anybody. I think he did it for Carlito for a while, and that was about it. But he ain't sitting behind John Cena's uh, cameras when John was doing his promos. I know that. So, like, he, he trust me when I tell you, he had he always wanted to put this character on, this gimmick on a big, like, perfect, if you want to call it that, perfect-looking, you know what I mean, wrestler, gigantic, jacked-up dude, basically. And in the way he explained it to me, and I've said this a thousand times, I think, is he's like, hey, Matt, you ever have, like, you ever go into a bar and there's this just beautiful woman, and she's just, just, just gorgeous, and just a perfect ten across the boards, and everybody's drooling over her and stepping on their tongues just to talk to her. And I'm like, no, I've never really seen anyone do that, but okay, yes, yes, I have. And uh, <laughs> he goes, um, he goes, uh, and then you finally work up the, the 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 juice to go over and talk to her. Then the first words out of her mouth, it's not what she says, but it's how she says it. And he gives me like, this huge, deep voice, this bassy voice, like Nicole Bass type voice. And uh, hmm. I'm like, he's like, he goes, you see a reaction right there? I'm like, yeah. He goes, That's, that was her Achilles heel. He goes, I want you to have this ridiculous Achilles heel that no one's going to see coming. And they're going to want to laugh, but they don't know if they should. And if they do, you're going to beat their ass. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. And then eventually we take the gimmick in a, in a, in a, in a uh, down the road where no one's making fun of you, but you, we need you to be the villain here. You need to be overly sensitive about it, and you're starting to think everyone's laughing around you. Everyone's laughing at you behind your back about this, and no one is whatsoever. It's your own insecurity, and it, it turns you into a bully and this kind of a thing. And it, I get <laughs> – you know, the, the ideal of it, I totally understood it. I thought it was actually a really good idea. Just not for me. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, like, what do you do? Do you tell this billionaire genius who's created so many stars, uh, you know what, that's a great idea, sir, but that, for me, I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I'm not saying I'm the rock on the mic by any stretch of the imagination, but I did graduate third of my class with a communication degree and public speaking is a strength is a strong suit of mine. I'm comfortable speaking. I'm comfortable within my own skin on the mic. You know, like this is the I wanted to say this is the character you give the guy that doesn't talk, who's terrified to talk. You know, because it would work hand in hand with that stuttering type of character. Um, but uh I I didn't. I I'm just being honest. I just assumed this guy, you know, he knows what he's doing. And if he's behind it, like, that's awesome. You know, I figured I just better learn to like it and start making it work for me is immediately what I told myself. You know, so he wanted me to go back down to OVW and work on it and, and start to, you know, incorporate it. And he's like, if this isn't something you feel comfortable with, you got to tell me now, Matt, because we can find something else for you. And I remember going, there's no way they would find something else for me. They just don't. At this time, they had so many young talents. And they were throwing so much shit against the wall to see what would stick that it, it, nobody had a chance to stick. Like, none of these young guys, I remember. There were so many guys I thought were a thousand times better than me that weren't even given the opportunity that I was. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm going, and I'm going to tell him no. You know what I mean? So I just wasn't confident enough in my abilities yet to tell him no. And, um, and that's really the truth of it. 
So, like, instead of going down to OVW to practice, I told him by the end of this, because I was called up to do a, a taping in Chicago uh, for SmackDown just because he wanted to have this conversation with me. So I drove up from Louisville to have this conversation. So I told him, like, look, I drove all the way up here. I, I do not want to have to go down to OVW and work on this. I don't think I'm going to have to. I go, can you give me the opportunity to try to pitch it to you by the end of the night? And you tell me what you think of it. And he was like, I like it. You know what I mean? He's like, obviously, anybody that's aggressive and takes things by the balls he likes, right? So that's what I was doing. So um, by the end of the night, I went into his office, and I started trying. Uh, he had Cena in there, and he wanted me to cut a promo on Cena. So I did. I uh, I just started doing the whole, you know, you think that's, you know, and started stuttering, stammering on words. And then getting really, really red in the face as I started, with, whenever I get stuck on a word, let's say, I'd get really red in the face and really get intense and then replace the word with a completely different word, even though it sounds the same, because I couldn't get it out. And it was funny, and they started laughing. And uh, that was enough. And I leave the office with John, and John goes, you know, seeing as like, congratulations, big man. I guarantee you, you'll be on SmackDown within the next month. And I was like, sweet. He goes, we need your big ass up here. He goes, we need more new, We need more young talent to get going. We need you guys to get over now. You know, the training wheels are off. And I was like, all right. And uh, he was right. I was on TV within two weeks and uh, doing this character. And the only thing, and the, the, my one concern here, guys, was I remember saying to Vince, like, guys, just six months earlier, I was on Team Lesnar. It, they know I don't stutter. Like, wh- what's the difference? Because I dyed my hair? Like, what's going to be the difference here? And I remember, like, are we going to explain why I'm stuttering? Was I in a car accident? Did something happen? <laughs> it was just, don't worry, don't worry about that. I tell them what to think. They'll, 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 they do what I tell them to, kind of a thing. And, huh. and I, I, but, but, but I, I was right. I mean, they knew I didn't stutter. And when you see that, 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 that square peg trying to desperately jam itself through that circle hole on national television, no less, it's insulting to the fans. Yeah, definitely. We, it's definitely like uh, not like a slap to face, but it's almost like we know this guy doesn't stutter. How come he's stuttering all of a sudden? And then you know you get those weird, creepy thoughts in your head, like, "Oh, Vince is just doing it on purpose." Obviously, he wasn't, but you know, Vince is doing it on purpose to mess with this guy, or you know, whatever the case may be. But as a fan, you just have no idea what's going on. No. But what was the you know what was the end game of it? Like, who Here's are you going to feud with? Okay. Well, one other thing is, dude, they paid me way too much money just to fuck around. That's the other thing. Hmm. Much more than I deserved. Um, I'll be the first to tell you that. Um, even when I first signed the developmental contract, you know, and I'm not saying that to brag or anything. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying I definitely didn't deserve it. I was young and very inexperienced. But that's the way the business was then. If you had a shitload of potential, right, and you were doing everything possible to keep going, to- climbing that ladder towards that potential, then, of course, they were going to take care of you and pay you and, and, and try to put you in the right opportunities. Um, so, like, no offense to them, but they, they weren't in a spot where necessarily they can afford to have a 7-foot, 300-pound monster that could be your next whatever in the waiting for the next 10, 15 years if you book him right because one's growing on a tree right now behind him. You see what I'm saying? There was nobody else after, after I left that was my height and my size. Not that, not that I recall. There's a couple guys that might have been close, but not the same type of athlete I was. Uh, not even close. 
You know what I'm saying? So, like, I don't think they mm-hmm. had the luxury, is what I'm saying, to be able to, would this be a great rib? No. But I could see it from the outset, somebody just not giving a shit and thinking that way. I could definitely think that. I remember I talked to Andrew Tess Martin um, when I went to, over to Italy to work, an indie show. And, you know, he thought the same thing. He's like, uh, he's like, man, that was, that was a rib, you know? And I was, and we, we two talked about it and stuff like that. But that's just the, the initial reaction, that the guttural reaction you would have to something like that because it just doesn't make any sense. It's a dozen, you know. You look at someone like me and you go, "Really? That's the fucking best they got for him? What the fuck?" But, you know. So I think I think that's what it, the natural reaction to that as being a rib would be. But they're in no no place to be able to spend that kind of money and eat up that kind of TV time just because it's the business. It wasn't even that funny. If I came out wearing a dress, I could see that being funny. <laughs> <laughs> Now I remember, uh, I guess you know, sometime around 2005, the Mexicals they come, to, you know, they come out, they beat you down. Oh all of a my sudden. God, Vince thought those guys were really huge. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say, sorry, I was gonna say they, um, you know, they beat you down for whatever reason. I mean, whatever. But what was the reason behind the beatdown? And then you basically were released or gone after that point. No, I was, I was already told. I was, I basically knew I was done. I basically had a feeling it was coming at that at that particular time because of that exact scenario. I was supposed to work William Regal, who was just supposed to be brought over from Raw in a trade, and I was excited about working him. And then I find out that I that Mexicals are coming to interrupt it, and they're going to jump. All three of them are going to jump me, leave me lying. Which I'm sorry, all fu- you can have a fucking village of Mexicals at that at their size that no one would believe. Would you be able to do that? But I digress. And then they're gonna then they jump and they jump William Regal as well. Ain't nobody believing that either. It's one of the legit tough dudes on the planet. But whatever. That that's what that's what we our job was. So it is what it is. You just shut up and you do it and you you know you keep try to keep it moving. But like I I did have a feeling that like that this is so antithesis of where they're supposed to be going with me right now. What the fuck, you know? And then before I can say what the fuck no, I was told that they're not re-signing me. And huh. and um, let's get you over to Japan. Let's get people to forget about this character, a la like uh, like uh, Glenn Jacobs did with you know, his previous character before he came back as Kane. Let's get you off of American television for at least a year, and uh, we'll bring you back. And you know, we'll we'll start from scratch. And and go from there. That is what the initial thought was. And at first, I was like, you know, let down, but I was happy to get away from that character because I, I hate, I did not like it, obviously. But I tried my best with it. But I also was, ex- I was excited to go to Japan, especially New Japan. You know, I was ecstatic. I was going to be working Yuji Nagata at the Dome Show in the semi main event the night that Brock won the title. Shit. You know, that's exciting stuff. And in a 20 minute match, you know, I was going to be able to work and then get better that way, you know, and improve. So I was excited about that. And then more and more I started, like, thinking. I was like, fuck these motherfuckers. They put my whole family, like, my finances in jeopardy because of a, of a character that I didn't think of. I, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, I've got to go somewhere else for a year or two because you guys screwed up? And i got to jeopardize my family's future? Fuck you. 
you know? And, and I remember thinking to myself, um, TNA was just starting. I was like, I'm just going to shove this up their ass. This is going to be the biggest, this is going to be one of the biggest mistakes they made in, in not resigning me. And I'm going to take that to me every time I get into the ring with TNA. And that's what I did. Which was great because it was shocking to see you. But before I get to, you know, your uh, your emergence in TNA, I just wanted to mention the uh, the New Japan thing. You were in, obviously, New Japan, like you mentioned, Yuji Nagata, co-main event. Nagata's a legend in Japan. But you would soon leave New Japan. How come you left New Japan? I guess you ended up in all Japan. Because Albert, Albert, Albert was about to come in, okay? And Albert was super over as the monster gaijin in all of Japan. There's no question about it. And... Unless they, 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 none of them there told me, hey, we're going to tag team you with Albert. Nobody told me that. So I was just, you know what I mean? I may be paranoid, who knows what. But I, uh, All Japan had made a pretty decent offer to me that was more money and more dates. And I was at a point where I, wanted, I actually wanted to work more dates. I wanted to get better. And I was feeling myself getting more confident. One of my biggest things I used to do when I was grainerding grass at WWE is, is I didn't work the way I looked. I might've looked like a freak and a monster, but like I was always so scared of hurting people because guys were always bitching and moaning and looking to use anything against you because you look a zillion and one times better than their little average ass looks physically. So like if I even through like the most lamest, pussiest looking clothesline, you can count on somebody like, Oh, Morgan was stiff out there. Stiff, motherfucker, you got no idea what stiff is. How about we go in the parking lot and shatter your fucking orbital socket and show you what stiff is? Um, but you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I came up, like, mm-hmm. treating every opponent like a sack of eggs, which you should. You've got to take care of one another. But you've also got to be able to lay shit in in a safe way. And that's what I got out of my Japan experience is my point, okay? I started working mm-hmm. the way I looked. And then finally, when, you know, TNA took advantage of that. And you actually were able to come in, you know, with Jim Cornette, your old buddy from OVW, oh, and you were kind of like his backup. Yeah. It was perfect. I, I mean, it's a whole other can of worms to this story that I don't want to take forever to get into, but most of the people that are diehard wrestling fans shouldn't already know it. Um, it's, you know, I just put myself through a detox and rehab. Um, I had a painkiller addiction for five years straight where I never missed a four-hour window of getting high off of painkillers. And I finally put myself through rehab. And one of my fears was I was cool with not even going back to wrestling back then, actually, after, my, after I was done in Japan. I just took myself off the grid and got myself sober. And TNA came with this perfect proposition where it, I told them straight up, I'm, I'm, I just got sober. I don't want to put myself in a predicament where I, if I fuck myself up and I get hurt or even sore, guys, I'm still weak enough to where I'm going to rationalize. I'm going to start using painkillers again. I don't want that to happen. I want I want to really beat it, and uh, they're like and, and they're like give us you know give us some time and then sure enough Cornette calls me he's like you're gonna be my bodyguard, and I'm like that's all I got to do and he's like just introduce you, show everybody what a good talker that I've been telling people for years that you are, actually make make me look good for once Matt you know he's joking with me, and uh, <laughs> and that's exactly what they gave me they gave me a great spot there as just being his bodyguard, and just talking. And then eventually they let me run the show and run it to the ground when he wasn't around and do some comedy stuff and show some uh, a little bit more chops than I was able to show in WWE, a little bit more range. And then by that time, 
it was time for me to wrestle, people wanted to see it finally, you know? It wasn't a big guy being shoved down their throat. They had a guy that was a bodyguard for about six months straight, I believe, you know? And always covered, his body was completely covered in a suit and tie at all times. You know what I mean? So I think people eventually forgot about, like, okay, he's a tall guy, but, you know, he's not, you know, he's not overly. I'm not, these muscles aren't glaring at people in their face, basically. You see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm forced to now use my facials, my body language, tone in my voice and how I speak and, 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 and the cadence of how I, how I cut my promo, things like that completely changed because of that experience. And I got better because of it. And one thing I definitely wanted to talk to you about within TNA, because I felt like this was another big guy that, you know, sometimes was, was misused or people thought just because he was big or how he looked, he wasn't that great of an athlete or that great of a wrestler, but he really was. And that was with Abyss. I know you team with Abyss and you feuded with Abyss. What's your take right. on, you know, your whole time spent with him? I, for me, it, it, it's nothing to do with him because he's a, he's a phenomenal worker for a guy his size as well. Abyss is very good. He's one of the best. Um, very underrated, if anything. Um, I, just for whatever rhyme or reason, I don't know why this is, I just don't work as well as other big guys because I always feel like I'm the one who needs to – there needs to be a certain pace to a match. There has to be a, an element in the match where the pace picks up. I'm not saying spot fast. I'm not saying run 100 mile an hour, spots off the ropes, and like physically run faster. I'm saying there needs to be something to change gears. And when I was working Abyss, I always felt like I needed to be the one to do that because athletically I was maybe more inclined to be able to do that, and gladly so if it made the match better. Problem was. I'm, I'm half a, not half a foot, but I'm much taller than him. And at times I think I, I'll be my own worst enemy because it, I think it, in the long run, it would hurt our matches because I decided to take that, that, that route to try to make the matches more exciting by physically picking, you know, changing gears and being the, like save me versus Alex Shelley, me versus AJ Styles, right? I'm shooting them off the ropes. They're ducking one or two. That pace, that phonetic pace that's going on right there, that's that's them creating movement around me. Okay, doing nothing but 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 still creating movement and looks like we're changing gears in the match. I was doing, I was being the Alex Shelley, if you will, or the AJ Styles to Abyss's Matt Morgan, right? That's what I'm saying. And that's where I think it might have gotten a little bowling shoe ugly. And that's on me because that was always my idea, you know. It just felt natural to do it. But when I watch it, like, I saw it once and I was like, all right, that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, we're just going to give them knockout, drag out. This is the pace you're getting. Uh, you know what I mean? We're two big motherfuckers. This is Michael Myers versus fucking Freddie or Jason, whatever you want to call it, analogy-wise. And it's not going to be pretty. But that's why, and that's when I realized that's the psychology all in itself behind it. And certain people, most of the smart marks are not going to like that. I, but no offense, that's not who I was working for, you know? So um, you work for everybody. And there's some people that liked it, and there's some that didn't. Now, another guy that you teamed with and feuded with, it seemed like kind of a occurrence in TNA. You, you know, you always team with a guy, and then you guys would end up feuding, and that was... Uh, Sean Hernandez. Did you enjoy your time teaming with him and then feuding with him? Because he's my boy, yeah. He's, he's a very good friend of mine, so yes. Anytime you get to work with somebody you have a personal friendship or relationship with, of course. And the same goes for Abyss. He's a very good friend of mine. 
um, still is. So it's like, you know, it makes things more fun. You want to be, you want to put more into it. You want to try new things, you know? So, um, I mean, the other thing I've had to tell you about myself with Abyss, you'll see that we did, we basically did three pay-per-views in a row. And Abyss did the honors because I won two out of three of those pay-per-views. That was always the plan going into the storyline, and Abyss was always cool with it, you know, because he's a professional. And he was already at a certain level with that company as a main event act, you know, a former world champion the whole nine. He's the monster Abyss. So he actually did more than people, in my opinion, give him credit for. He really helped establish me as their new quintessential giant, okay, or their only giant, really. Um, at the time, he can be their monster on their giant. You see what I'm saying? So, he, I wrestled them though. In one of those th- one of those three pay per views, I came out of the hospital with a staph infection in my rear deltoid, and uh, I'd wear a t-shirt in the match to keep my bandage and gauze all covered up. I had this gigantic three-inch gash in my right rear deltoid still, from where they removed this uh, staph infection I had. And I'd gotten it at a nasty ring wrestling in Puerto Rico. It was disgusting. Um, but anyways, so, like, that, that match, that, that was another, like, chapter I would go back to mentally in the Rolodex and be like, that was the time I grew as a performer, you know, because you always hear these guys tell these great stories. Well, I wrestled with, a, you know, one leg. I wrestled with, you know, a broken neck. I wrestled with this. And I'm not comparing it to anything like that, but... You know, you're wrestling with, what, 104-degree temperature. You literally just had your staph infection removed 48 hours previous. You're still supposed to be in the hospital. Um, and I illegally, I completely checked, illegal, illegally left the hospital, okay, and went and performed and didn't tell TNA anything about it. And, uh, you know, looking back, I definitely took a huge risk doing that, especially when I ate one of his black hole slams. You know what that move is, and you know exactly where the opponent, where I landed on as soon as I got hit with it. You'll see me just go, fuck, <laughs> right on my gash. Um, but that's why I was wearing a T-shirt in that one of those uh, three uh, pay-per-views we had together. But, um, and Hernandez question, you know, like I said, a good friend of mine. Another, we very think similar things in common as far as we both think big guys. Yes, it's important to be big. It's important to work big, but it's also twenty fuck like today. It's twenty fucking fifteen. Like back then, it was twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. Dirk Nowitzki, seven foot one, and could bring the ball up the fucking floor in the NBA. Kevin Garnett, seven foot one, could bring up the floor, could bring the ball up and play point guard if need be, and run the offense through him in the NBA. Um, short stops, hitting 45 home runs, 35 home runs, things that were – Phil Rizzuto had no shot in hell of doing that back in the day. Um, you, you see what I'm saying? So why is wrestling still behind the times with how the big man the, – the, the bigger athlete is viewed and, and judged? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And even with Abyss, I remember you guys had a uh... – I believe it was like a 10,000 thumbtack match and like a blood chamber match. So you guys, I mean, they were big man matches, but they were very different in the fact that you guys were taking a lot of risks. Well, the risk started when I started coming off the top rope and doing freaking cross bodies on top of like beer money on the outside of the ring and and, and stupid shit like that. But again, I I, I go back and forth. Yes, if you're big, you should work big, right? Because that separates yourself. It does. But if you've been there for a while, you've done the same thing, we get it. You're seven foot, Matt. You're 300 pounds. We get it. But what they don't get is, did you know I can do a shooting star? Did you know I can do a, you know, it doesn't mean you come out and do it all the time, but you save it, you know? 
And I'm of a belief that if you can physic, if I could physically do something, that this is a real fight, right? And if I could legitimately throw a roundhouse kick and 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 and, and clip you right in your fucking nose, right? If that's what I wanted to do in a real fight, and I go ahead and I do it and I execute it, why would I not do that in a real fight? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So why is wrestling different? Mm-hmm. Why why are we? I just felt like the bigger guy. Especially if they're athletic, they're very, very uh, chained down as far as being able to show other things that might make them different, especially if they're good athletes. And that, that's what the blueprint was. The entire character, the shtick, is I am the blueprint of the perfect athlete. So that would require what you would think. That would require showing athleticism. But different athleticism than other guys my size. Absolutely. And we were talking a little bit about it before, you know, with, with you, especially because obviously you use the blueprint, you're a great athlete, you're a great wrestler, but the TNA stop and start of like a big push for you. And then it comes back and a big push. It's almost, you know, like they didn't know where they were headed with the character. They almost yeah. didn't know what they had. No, this is, it's what I said earlier. And it was at first I, I used to get super pissed about it, but when I started looking around more, it was happening to Joe on a daily basis well before it was happening to me. It was happening to Joe for years. It was happening to um, Bobby Roode and Storm on a different level. They kept trying to force those guys into being tag team stars only. You know what I mean? And that was all they were going to be, and it might be great tag team, but that would be the extent of it. No singles act stuff here, guys. You're, you guys are tag team wrestlers. You stay in that box. You know what I mean? Um, hmm. Which is bullshit. They both are fucking equally great single stars. I'm sorry. I think James Storm is the most charismatic fucking wrestlers I've, I've ever been in the ring with, quite frankly. And Bobby Roode is hands down one of the best talents I've ever been in the ring with. I paid money to see him versus Dolph Ziggler, for the record. But anyways, um, like I was saying, though, so like I watched this go all around me, from not just me being start and stopped. It might be more obvious because I'm bigger, right? And, and some of the opportunities I'd be given were literal main event pay-per-view moments, like, like me versus Sting versus Kurt in a three-way. Me versus Kurt in a main. Me versus Sting in a main. Um, who else? Me versus Hardy. Two straight main event pay-per-views. Um, me versus Anderson um, in the pay-per-view main event. And then Anderson got to wrestle for the belt right after that in an unannounced championship match versus Jeff Hardy. Um, but I digress. Again, <laughs> that's six right there. I just saw it off the top of my head, I think. And so... If I'm a fan, I think the same thing you're thinking. I'm going, well, what the fuck? Like, why is he back tag teaming now for no rhyme or reason? Why is he now that, you know? I would just look around, and I'd see it happening to AJ, to Joe, to Daniels, to all these guys that had just – you always hear that you, you want that Austin 316 moment. I think that's very exaggerated as far as any of us ever having that type of moment. But, but it's, it's that aha moment that the crowd all says aha at when you have been made, whether you've won the match or lost the match, but you've been brought up to the main event and you're literally in a main event pay-per-view match and you not only hold your end, but you fucking got over that night somehow. The fans are showing their respect, their appreciation, their hatred in you or their fandom in you if you're the good guy, right? And everyone's clapping you, giving you a high five as you're walking through the back, standing ovation. You, the hard part's written, right? It's done, you would think. You got over. You did exactly what the writers wanted. You're now over. You've been made. Everyone's acknowledged this. And then two weeks later, you're doing this. 
You got nothing to do with that, right? And again, not just me. I watched this happen with about five to eight other talents. So I realized that it's not just something like some personal attack against me. It's unfortunately the context of the company I'm working in. And the context, the context unfortunately, at that time was these other big-name talents we need to still keep at the very tippity top of the mountain. You know, we, we, we don't care what the fans are saying, which is a shame because TNA was a company I was supposed to actually listen to the fans is what I was, was always told, you know, and always kind of believed, I thought. Not really because they kept the, you know, the Kurtz, the, the Jeffs, the, 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 the RVDs, all those guys that would love to do business with any of us and help get us to that next level, right? They would love to do the job to do that because they're they, they're not they're not insecure with themselves. They get it to work and it was done for them, and they know it's the right business move. But for what it would be our writers that would always put the brakes on it at the last second for all of us, Joe, AJ, me. You know, even when AJ won that title, you could tell everyone went kicking that office. It, it looked it looked verbatimly like they went kicking kicking and screaming and blew a tantrum over the fact that. AJ was their champion with what they were doing to him. I trying to make him a mini Ric Flair and you know what I mean? Like stuff that just needed, did not need to be done. He's the fucking franchise. Yeah. yeah weird, you, weird you stuff know, that they would do. I remember uh, they tried to put you in fortune, which is weird. And they kind of teased you in immortal. Then, you know, the main event mafia thing. I mean, so many dear, uh, weird, different things. And I don't know why, they thought that, that, you know, that stuff would work. Well, okay, I will say this. The fortune thing ended up working for me because I was the first one to leave that group, and that's when I, was able, that's when I wrestled in the main event versus Jeff Hardy for the title, those two pay-per-views in a row. Um, thank God. You know what I mean? So at first I, I was with you. I was like, huh, this doesn't seem like a real fit. You know, I don't really hang out with these dudes after the show. Um, I'm from Orlando, so I go home to my family every night. You know, I'm not in my hotel room with these guys, per se, after television. I'll go eat with them and stuff, but I didn't work the indies with the, with them like A.J. Daniels, uh, um, who else, Kaz, you know, and, and then Storm being a TNA original along with when A.J. started as well. You know, they, they, these guys have a little deep-rooted bond, and these are my boys. I'm not saying they're not, but it just felt like when me and Doug came into it, it's like we're not really – boys with these like we're friends but we're not like we didn't come up together you know what i mean it's not part of our back it's not part of our shoot story i think the fans obviously know that but it doesn't matter because you're seven feet 300 pounds everyone sees me as what it is i was the muscle of the group so i don't have to be their butt buddy in order to be in their group i'm paid to watch their back right and um everyone knows the way this story always ends especially if rick flair is involved the bodyguard always becomes the baby face. We can't take any more and then goes against Ric Flair. And I actually got to work against Ric Flair and Rick willingly, gleefully put me over. That's, one of, that's another thing I had to look back at, obviously. I think it was a gigantic honor, you know, for him to go out of his way and actually, you know, make, you know, make the suggestion, let me work, Matt. Because he was one of those guys going, what the fuck are they doing with you? Like you think you, you think you're frustrated saying what you're saying to me in this interview, bro? You should have seen Rick. Ricky be like, I don't get it. What the fuck am I missing here? This isn't brain surgery. Why are they making it so hard? 
And I was like, Rick, I can't say any of this shit, dude. I, I mean, I, if I do, then I look like I'm being, you know, a little dead, you know, little pussy about it. Who, who, who you can't pay a few more dues until the time is until they feel my time is ready, you know, and just shut up and do what I'm told and make the best of it, you know. But then eventually, I did get to that point. Once Rick left, that is when I started to get more vocal about how I was being booked, not in being a bitch about it or being a dicky or, or arrogant about it but just trying to get a better understanding and being part of the process a hell of a lot more, especially once Vince Russo left, because Vince Russo, I know a lot of, he has a lot of heat and everyone likes to blame shit on him. And, um, but at the end of the day, I'm, he did understand my blueprint character. At least he, he always kept my character. If you remember, I would say from, from 2008 to 2010, whether I was a face or a heel, my character was 100% the blueprint across the board. There, there was no, I didn't act any differently, whether I was a face or a heel. And he was very true to that, which I always appreciated because he got the character. He totally did. You know, even while I was doing the tag team championship gimmick all by myself, and I started referring to ourselves, myself as we, and shit, little shit like that, that, that my arrogant ass would really do in life and talk like, because it's funny. But um, so once he left, and then all these new people came in, writing-wise, whether it's Eric or whomever, it, they never understood it. And I don't think they cared to understand it. Yeah, TNA is always strange. And then eventually, I remember they had you with uh, Joey Ryan. They had you with Crimson. I know you guys won a tag title, but then feuded. It was weird. It was always up and down with uh, TNA. The, jo- the Joey Ryan go back, weird. Go back, minus the, go back, go back in time, and, and you'll see it. Every time I, pay, I main evented a pay-per-view um, and, and they built six months or five months or four months to get me there, boom, I'd be back tag teaming with somebody. Every time. The same, same thing with Crimson. Um, I believe, yeah, it was after I got done with Jeff Hardy and Ken Anderson. And then uh, let's put them in tag team with Crimson. They look alike, right? Okay. Who knows what they thought? But we ended up tagging together. Just like I did with Hernandez before that when I got done working Kurt Angle in the main event. During that main event, Mafia versus me storyline. You know, same thing. So you're right. You're absolutely right. But um, Joey Ryan one was a little different um, because now we were supposed to be this tag team, but, like, I never understood it from the beginning because I thought we had two totally different gripes. Joey's gripe was he couldn't get hired by the company. My gripe was everyone in America thinks I left TNA already and was going to be going to WWE. We had fans legitimately believing this. So why are we not making money off of this somehow, guys? Because I was still under contract at the time, but we took me off of TV because I had been on, at this time, the fourth most uh, TV matches in a five-year window with that company. I, didn't even, I wasn't even aware of that. And it definitely oversaturated Matt Morgan on that show, no question, as far as me having matches goes. And the bigger guys, we, we should be doing the opposite of it. You know, we should be in a special attraction type of thing. You know, it should mean more when we work, I think. And I think they were they, they were presenting it to me like they thought the same thing. So let's get you off. Eric came in. He's like, let's, 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 let's just get you off TV for a little bit. We'll bring you back. And, uh, you know, so I remember Dixie Carter telling me verbatim, like, you'd be like our version of Undertaker. And I remember just my head going, don't say, oh, okay. That's a huge honor. He's my favorite wrestler, but don't say things like that, you know. Um so anyway, so I didn't know what that meant. I just know feature role, that's great. I'll, I'll take it as long as I'm paid. While I'm home, no problem. So they took care of me. I was paid the whole time I was gone. 
And in the meantime, I fucking fed the, the net and everybody else that I was done with TNA and made all these innuendos. I was going back to WWE. People bought it hook, line, and sinker. And um, they bring me back and tag me with Joey Ryan. And I was told because we both are, are against the system. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. These are two different completely against the system type people. He's against the system because he doesn't even have a job here. Okay? My problem, my beef with the office is completely different. I think I should be the goddamn fucking hood ornament of your company. Nothing and nothing less will do. I go, I think that's a lot different than somebody wanting to have a job here and thinking he deserves one versus that. How are we going to bond over that? Those are not the same gripes. Not even close. Well, you're a fan. You tell me. You, do, do you think, I mean, do you see that those are similar gripes or maybe I'm wrong? No. No, it was terrible. It was such a weird pairing. It didn't even make sense. I was like, what is he? Like, it's just, he's just sure. bodyguarding right. up for some reason or something? Like, it doesn't make sense. Right. So, well, then, he, another, and the thing that sucks about it is I, I love Joey. He's one of those guys that I used to always, like, I asked Terry Taylor, like, how, like, you always ask us about young, fresh talent. This Joey Ryan kid I keep hearing more and more about, why is he not even being invited here for tryouts? You know, I got to work with him in India, and he's fucking awesome. Um, anyways, so I like Joey. We had, we, had, we had a bond over there in Italy together, or not Italy, in India together with Ring Taiking. That was money. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so again, again, I'm being tagged with a buddy of mine, but I know it's not what's best for my career at that moment. And quite frankly, it wasn't going to be what's best for his because I knew what was going to happen. Um, Hulk stepped in, thank God for my, for my benefit. And during creative, like TV production, not creative, but he was not part of the product, uh, the, the T, the creative team. Let me just start off with, by saying that Hulk had nothing to do with creative. But he was in there all, every week for production meetings. And I'd always hear from the other guys, whether it's Tommy or Dreamer or I might, I might mention names, other, other guys, Bubba Ray, other guys. They'd be like, dude, Hogan really, really went to bat for you just now. He goes, what happened? And he goes, and they both, everyone would be like, he doesn't get what the fuck they're doing with you. And I was like, did you tell them, did you tell them to get in line? And uh, so <laughs> anyway, so he, so he goes, uh, so I find out later on, like, the Hulk would, like, why, why is Matt Morgan tagging with Joey Ryan? Like, what's the reason? I don't get the backstory. Is there a backstory even? And if there is or isn't, what's his future? Because there's nobody else on this roster that looks like him. Okay? There's no one that's as physical looking as he is and as dominating looking as he is. Why are we doing this with him? I just don't think we're getting our money's worth out of him, quite frankly. Something to that effect, basically. Just putting me over is, is the nut and bolts of the story, okay? And uh, that was awesome, obviously. You're, you're a childhood idol going to bat for you. Are you fucking kidding me? What gets better than that, you know, other than, okay, wrestling Ric Flair. But, you know, so I was, again, ecstatic about that. But then what does that mean for me and Joey? So what would happen is every time Hulk would speak up about it, they would kind of like, well, we really don't know what to do with Joey and Matt because we have this idea, the creative team would be like, we have this story for Joey and Matt that has to go in this direction, but here's this icon telling us that it's retardedly stupid, and this one guy should be, you know, the end-all, be-all of God's gift of professional wrestling. So what are we supposed to do here? Well, they should have picked a position and played it and not do the back and forth because that literally week to week would go back and forth, if you remember. It would be, like you just said, I'd look like a bodyguard for two seconds, and then that next week – 
I'm cutting promos against Hulk Hogan in the ring one-on-one. Um, I'm making him piss his pants. I'm choking him up against the wall. Um, setting up for what looks like hopefully an angle against him in the ring maybe if he's able to physically do it, which I knew he wouldn't be. I never thought he would be, but I always hoped. Um, you know, so that's very confusing to the fans. But, again, I'm going to agree with Hulk, obviously, and I'm going to be stupid not to, that that was the route to go at least. Let's put me in a featured role at least that I'm being somewhat different and we're maximizing my potential slightly better than just putting me out there as another guy. You know, and and, and and the other part of it was, then let's say if the creative team won that battle out, they decided to ignore Hulk's opinion, and they kept it just me and Joey. There was a lot. Of, there really was. I know you won't believe me, but there there was a lot of comedy behind the both of us that we could have done so much more of. That I was always being told that I can't do because I got to be the straight one and this and that. And it was just so much funny shit that we could that we wanted to do, and we were never able to really get into it. And I understand fully why. It's because they never knew where they were going with us. You know, I, three different times we were told we were going to win the tag team championships. Three different times. And you can ask Joey this if you ever interview him. And then, like, the next day it would change. And it would be Matt Moore. I have my own individual singles match at the pay-per-view somehow. And Joey is accompanying me to the ring. You know what I mean? So it was all over the place. But that's the whole too many cooks in the kitchen thing. Which was always the case in, in TNA, 100%. I mean, we said that a few times, but it's, it's never understated right. by TNA. It always was the case with them, and I believe it's still the case with them now. It's un- unbelievable. But if I could uh, wind it down a little bit here, always curious with a guy, especially, you know, of your caliber and a guy that wrestled for a long mm-hmm. time, do you have a favorite match or matches that you've had in your career? Yeah. Uh, Bound for Glory versus Kurt Angle. That was my first real coming out match. Where I finally, I felt, came within even the vicinity of my potential finally, you know. Um, mm. I dropped 20 pounds for that match because I had a six-month heads up that I'd be working him in that match, actually. I did. I took that match as a shoot as seriously as I could. Um, I wanted to make it special, and I thought I did. I thought I didn't have to. I, did, I didn't slow anything down. I think when we needed to pick up the pace toward the falses at the end of the match, I was able to be there with him step for step. Um, and I was very proud of that. I was more proud of him going to the office and suggesting that he, he needs to do the right thing and he needs to put me over. You know, that, that was really, that was a big part of it as well. That makes it memorable. Then obviously me versus Ric Flair. No question. Not many people get to pin Ric Flair. I don't care how old or how young he is. It's still Rick fucking Flair to me and a huge icon and a guy that I grew up you know, one, you know, emulated, you know, emulated definitely. Um, now, I think then, you know, there's other, there's other things like you know, F5 in the big show was a pretty cool moment as very young in my career. Not many people get to pick big show up over their head. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, wasn't a match, but you know what I'm saying? Debuting mm-hmm. at a uh, survivor series. On Team Lesnar, the biggest team in Survivor Series history, still to this day, there's never been a bigger team. Um, it was me, A Train, uh, Nathan, Big Show, and Brock. Brock was the smallest, huh. and A Train was the say. second smallest. And A Train's the second smallest. So, dude, that's crazy. 
<laughs> yeah, but um, so they're, 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 they're all meaningful to me. I mean, maybe not to fans or to other people, but to me, those are my most, you know, big, big moments for me. And then, honestly, the op- and this, is, this is probably even crazier that I'm saying this. Just recently, working Bram, the Brom, um, and having my kid there. That was enormous for me. Like, uh, enormous. Like, I had goosebumps all day. I was so excited, you know, to be able to to, to, to say I actually, he actually saw me wrestle. 20 months old or not, I get it. He's not sitting there taking notes and talking and screaming and, you know, getting it all because he's only 20 months. I understand that. I'm not retarded. But um, my wife's sitting there videotaping and taking tons of pictures. Um, you know, that that's stuff that you, you can't erase. He'll always have that. He'll always be able to show his boys that when he gets older. Now, do you have a favorite opponent? I know you you mentioned Flair and Angle, and obviously you wrestled Eugene Nagata, which is all Kurt, Kurt, you wrestled Kurt, Mexico. Kurt, 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 and more Kurt. No, Kurt, hmm. Kurt, and more Kurt Angle. There's no question. He's fucking unbelievable. He is not... That is the one guy when people talk about, oh, he's a he's a robot out there. He's a well, an android. He's not human. He's the only guy that gets built like that that actually lives up to every single bit of it and surpasses it. He's fucking uncra- he's unreal in that ring, unreal. And he knows how to make anybody. He can make anybody look so much better than they already do. And up until that born for glory, bound for glory match, that's what he had done for me. That six months of lead-in and build-up. AJ Styles played a huge part in that, too. I had to beat him in a best-of-three series of matches on Impact to get the opportunity to work Angle, I believe. So, it, that, you know what I mean? It was definitely not just Kurt. It was also AJ playing a huge part and doing the right thing for the business at the moment, you know? I'm sure he probably thought he should have been the one working, and, you know, to his, to his credit, he'd be correct. He's supposed to be the franchise of the fucking company. So, um, but anyways, Kurt made me look like a million bucks going into that. So the fact that I was able to then finally hold up my end of the bargain, you know, by being not just relying on Kurt's talent, but implement mine and be accountable for my own actions finally in a match, in a big pressure cooker type match like that, where I was told we had 25 minutes and I never wrestled that long before, you know, I was very proud of that. Great match, looking back, uh, and it was a great feud between you guys. Now, one question oh, you that, you know, one question we definitely like to ask a guy who, who's accomplished as much as you have, and we like to say, what would you say your stamp is on the business, or almost like your lasting legacy? What I, I, was it for the I blueprint? wanted it to be, I, I, how about this? I wanted, I mean, this is what I always wanted it to be, and I know I, I probably it didn't happen because you have to be, in my opinion, you have to be, it sounds like a Markish thing to say, but I always thought you kind of needed to be a world champion to really leave that indelible mark. But here's the, here's what it is at the end of the day. If there's any other big guys out there that seen anything I've done and was able to push it, push how the big man is viewed, athletically speaking, is concerned, and, and, and try to update the way the big guy works, Instead of the be you know fee five fo fum, I make that slow and dumb crap that has been played out since 1982. Um, that fans don't want to pay to see anymore, quite frankly. Um, then I that's the mark I hope I left. My that was always my goal was to speed up, not even speed up, to bring 
the way the giant was viewed, okay, up to date with the rest of the world of sports. Like right now, the diva thing that's going on and the women, you know, we're kick-ass athletes and yada, 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 that, that whole thing, right, with what's going on with um, this, oh, my God, Flair's daughters. All those girls are money, by the way, for the record. Um, all those NXT girls are fucking money in the ring. God, they're good. Um, but all of them, and then you have, you know, with Ronda Rousey, and then, you know, the, the women's soccer team, you know, the Venus, you know, the Williams sisters, all of this, you know, you know, women athletes stepping up and getting their just due finally, right? Uh, after being just for many, many years considered, a, I don't want to say a side attraction, but like the side dish, if you will, not the meat and potatoes. Um, that's what I wanted for the way the giant is viewed as far as being more athletically inclined to do different things and not just relying on slapping my fat gut and screaming in place and then doing an earthquake move or, 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 or choke slam symbols or, you know, slice my throat with my thumb. You, you, you know what I mean? Not, stuff that is very identifiable for certain big men of, uh, you know, in their own right, but athletically speaking, picking it up and bringing it up to a date where it should be because every other fucking sport has. We're seeing Randy, fucking Randy Johnson, Major League Baseball player. I know it was a long time ago, but remember what, how crazy that was considered that you had damn near a seven-foot guy on the mound just throwing gas at people? Like, if that was in the 80s, he'd be stuck playing first base. He wouldn't even be, I take that back. He'd be playing basketball somewhere because no one would have given him an opportunity because you're seven feet tall. You're not a baseball player. You're, you're a flagpole. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not a pitcher, that's for sure. You know, that's just the way it was. And that's why I felt wrestling stagnant and did not update itself and, and, and with the giant, in my opinion. Definitely, definitely true. Could you Does any of that make sense? Do you understand all that? Yeah, oh, perfect, perfect sense. And, it, and it's so true. I like the way you you, you, know, you said that because it is so true because a lot of the times the, you know, Andre the Giant kind of, giant where you know that's like that's how you're right. supposed to be if you're big you know but now right. you broke the mold right. there and, and hopefully I, mean, I tried to that, that was the attempt that. you know right yeah that, that was the attempt and that was the hope if i did it i don't know i see a luke harper work the way he works i love watching him because he does that exactly what i'm talking about nothing he does is average looking or clutchy looking or screaming in place i'm gonna choke slam you to death crap yeah, so, I was actually going to mention him because uh, he—I mean—he's a, he's a little bit smaller than you, but I mean, I, he's got to be about six nine for him. No, to come you're down. right. You're right. You're but actually, he did, I think it's like six six or seven. But he works a, the way compared to everybody else on that roster and how tiny they are now. He is—he is asked to be a big man. Definitely, and he does the suicide dive and those awesome. Kicks oh my God! And awesome. Super kick and everything else. All day. He is great. Yes. Now, where can the fine folks find the Blueprint, Matt Morgan? Please give us some plugs. Some plugs? Just I, I, the only social media I've gotten, I've always ever had, was Twitter. That's at BP Matt Morgan. Um, and that's just, I never had Facebook. I never had Instagram, none of that crap. Just, just Twitter seemed the easiest for me to get you know in touch with fans and answer their questions and just shoot the shit with them. Um, and now it's different because now I'm retired. It's cool to be able to shoot the shit about watching the shows back and me being a fan again and watching it from those set of eyes, you know? 
Um, but then also um, I, coming up, I got um, I'm doing my very first um, men's physique uh, bodybuilding show that will be at, um, at Daytona Beach Classic is what it's called, and it will be this upcoming Saturday, Daytona Beach. Um, and uh, again, it's my very first show I've ever done. I've been busting my ass in the gym for the past four months, dieting crazily, lost a shitload of weight to be able to pull this off. And uh, hopefully I do. You know, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity. Uh, I've had some really cool backers, um, BSN Nutrition and some other supplement companies along the way that are more than willing to help, you know, take care of me financially as well as give me free stuff. I appreciate it. Um, but it's it's something that always went hand in hand with wrestling, uh, working out, trying to be in the best shape you can. But now that I'm home, I'm not on the road. I'm not taking bumps. I'm not in a little crammed up rental car. I'm able to take care of some lagging injuries that I had. And now that I do, I, I, I like, I want, I need something to go after athletically, you know what I mean? Like goals athletically. And my job gives me that as far as the competition end goes of wanting to be number one at something, right? Be the leader in sales as a regional manager. Great. Then, but physically speaking, how do I scratch that itch? Well, this is what I'm hoping helps me scratch that itch. Awesome. And best of luck to you. And It's the Wolfpack Live at Frankie's Eastside Gourmet and Italian Restaurant in Farmingdale, New York, featuring Big Sexy Kevin Nash, the bad guy Scott Hall, and the Bronco Buster himself, X-Pac Sean Waltman. VIP tickets are on sale Saturday, September 26th for amazing VIP packages starting at $75. Call 516-756-2753. Tell them the two-man power trip of wrestling sent you by using the code POWERTRIPNWO for a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's Frankie's Eastside Gourmet, an Italian restaurant in Farmingdale, New York. 516-756-2753. It's going to be an event that's just too sweet. You might wind up in a body bag. 